Welcome back to our Wednesday night study as we've been looking through Paul's letters, particularly right now, the book of Ephesians. You know, Paul began a line of thinking back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, telling us, his readers, to be filled with the Spirit, to completely submit to the influence of the Spirit. Then he proceeds to tell us some ways in which the life of a person filled with the Spirit operates, in joy, in gratitude, in selfless submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. For the sake of Christ, we are to put the needs, wants, and preferences of other people before our own. And remember that for Paul, it is always about Jesus and the gospel. So from verse 21, our submission is completely out of reverence for Christ. Paul then spends three verses talking about how wives can live out the command to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Paul is going to spend nine verses talking about how uh, the husband can live out the same command to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, Uh, We have to remember that Paul is explaining ways in which fellow believers filled with the Spirit are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he tells husbands that a vital component of submitting to one another, putting the needs, wants, and preferences of other people before our own, is the decision to love your wives with the same capacity and caliber of love with which Jesus loved the church through his sacrificial death. Jesus placed the salvation needs of humanity in the highest priority, even to the point above his own life. Jesus submitted to the needs of the world and to the hands of his executioners because he knew that they needed it for salvation. So, Paul instructing husbands to love their wives is not an altogether different instruction for, from the one for wives to submit to their husbands in everything. He is phrasing it in this way so that the husbands can better understand what he is saying. And the use of the word love from the Greek means for husbands to love wives is not an accident. It's nothing, uh, as nothing in Scripture is an accident. For just as wives from verse 24 are not given a loophole to submission, husbands are not given a loophole for love. Husbands are to love their wives irregardless of the response even when only receiving unkindness or indifference or a perceived lack of fairness or even assumed disrespect. The example of love for the husbands is that of Jesus, who loved through unkindness, indifference, unfair treatment, and extreme disrespect. This kind of love is a decision that is made by an individual without the need for reciprocation or even specific qualifications to be met before it is given. Paul simply says that someone who is a believer, who is being influenced by the Spirit of God into submission, will love without any limits placed on its scope. This love is the very same kind of love spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. That word resentful, literally in the Greek, means does not keep a record or does not count the bad things. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, those things listed there in 1 Corinthians 13 are not optional when we choose 
to love. They, they are all difficult. Um, and for some of us, some are more difficult than others at certain seasons in our lives, but they are all essential parts of what love is. If any of those things are absent, then it is not love, that thing with which we are extending to someone else. So when Paul writes in Ephesians 5.25 that husbands filled with the Spirit submitting to one another are to love their wives, then what he means by the word love is that description in 1 Corinthians 13.4-8a. through 8a. This love, it, it can't be partial, it can't be piecemeal, it is all or nothing. That passage in 1 Corinthians 13 is the biblical definition of love. Anything else that we may call love that does not have all of those listed characteristics in total is not love. It is something else entirely. It may be a cheap imitation or a failed attempt based upon the actions of the other person, but that is not biblical love. The love of 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8a, and Ephesians 5.25 is a decision to love that is fully committed because of the love of Christ, rather than in response to another person's actions or words. So Paul writes that husbands being influenced by the Spirit of God into submission will love their wives in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then he further tells of Christ's love for the church, verses 26 and 27, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Christ's sacrificial death was to sanctify or to make holy, to bring to perfection which we will know in heaven. Jesus will cleanse the people of the church by the washing of water with the word. Now this specifically, this right here, this passage, this is not an allusion to baptism because baptism is symbolic and cannot actually offer spiritual cleansing. The image that Paul is painting is revealed in the rest of the phrase that the word of the gospel has the power to bring spiritual cleansing to even the darkest of souls. Jesus said in John 15, 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Again, in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So, holiness attained through the word of the gospel. That's what he's talking about. This cleansing is achieved through salvation, which then brings splendor or, or, or glory, is what that literally means. So a life is made glorious when by faith Jesus comes into it, bringing his own glory with him. The people of the church at that time, they will be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holding without blemish. The people of the church will have no sin or imperfection anywhere. Jesus' death and resurrection will have done away with all of that, leaving only everything perfect as it was originally created to be. So, having mentioned what Jesus does for the church through his love, Paul then goes into how this love can be lived out by husbands. Uh, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Remember, love is a decision, and we love ourselves, ourselves through our own decisions. 
We make sure that we have food and clothing and other things. We decide to, to buy this and that for ourselves through whatever means of justification it takes in our own minds. We decide to sleep a little bit extra rather than do something for someone else. We decide to immediately prioritize whatever personal need we feel that we have. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that those purchases or decisions are bad in and of themselves. I'm just illustrating how we choose to love ourselves through our various decisions. So loving someone else, in Paul's context here, our wives, should be accomplished through very similar decisions. In addition, the church is an extension of Christ in the world, and he cares for it as such. Similarly, the wife is an extension of the husband, and he is expected to care for her as such. Now, this is a very interesting and considerably more progressive passage than how many have used it. Paul's use of the word flesh in verse 29, it harkens back to Genesis 2, 24, uh, where Genesis says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh, which he quotes there in verse 31. So the husband and wife are no longer two, but one. And since they are one flesh, using both the language of Genesis and Paul, one is not better than the other. One is not more important than the other. Because there is not one and another. There's only one. And that one is meant to be a member of the body of Christ. So Christ provides for every need of those members. Members, And similarly, the husband, filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another, is to provide for the needs of the wife through love. Now look at verse 32. Paul writes, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that refers to Christ and the church. That word profound there means great in the upper range of a scale of extent, as high as it goes. So this mystery is overwhelmingly, phenomenally great in size and scope of depth. Two becoming one is the mystery being referred to here. And the two that Paul is specifically referring to is Christ and the church. The church is meant to be perfectly unified to Christ. And to be perfectly unified to Christ, it must be perfectly unified within itself. Unity for the sake of union with Christ should supersede any previous allegiance or opinions. Now, having given his illustrations of one filled with the Spirit submitting to one another in the lives of the husbands and wives, here in verse 33, Paul gives a brief summation. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, think about that for a second. Is it easy to love or respect someone who acts in a way that we might call unlovely or disrespectful? Or, I guess, disrespectable. The love of husbands for wives should be unrestrained and imitating Christ in the same way that the husband's decisions demonstrated a love for self. Also, the wife is to respect her husband. Respect meaning great reverence, great respect. And in the same way that the love for the husband, the, uh, the love of the husband for the wife is to be uh, uh, voluntarily given rather than earned or reciprocated, the respect of the wife for the husband is to be given rather than earned or reciprocated. For the believer, love and respect are given. Love is not meant to be earned, and respect is not meant to be earned, at least biblically, for the believer. Our culture will say that respect must be earned. Uh, uh, it takes a long time to earn it and a short time to lose it. 
But Paul here says that respect, from the perspective of a follower of Christ, respect is freely given, not because of the one receiving, not because the one receiving is deserving, but because of the Spirit's work in the one who's doing the giving. The Spirit's work in us should have a profound impact on all throughout our interactions with everyone. In addition, Paul's instructions to wives and husbands are not merely meant to be reserved for them individually. Both love and respect are Christian decisions that should be demonstrated irregardless of gender or marital status. Now, next time, we're going to further examine some more of Paul's writings in the book of Ephesians. But thank you for joining us and checking out this week's look at uh, Paul's work, Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. And I will see you next time.